0: If you have your Bible, let's stand now to the book of Acts, chapter number 13, and we'll begin reading in verse number 1, and read down through, probably down through about verse number 9. Notice, if you would please, in verse number 1. Now, though we're in the church that was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, which is called Niger, and Lucas of Cyrene, and then Manian, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed unto solution from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were sailed to Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had also John to their minister. And when they had gone through the Alapaphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. Belamus, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeing, uh, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. And notice in verse number 10, and said, O oh, full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? Our fathers, we bow before you tonight. We do love you, and we thank you for the opportunity to be back here in this pulpit tonight. I would ask you, Lord, that you'll continue to bless this church, continue to bless your people. I pray tonight that you'll continue to be with our missionary friends and brethren that are here tonight. God may be with each one, encourage them, supply their needs. I would ask you, Lord, that you may help those that are on deputation to get their support speedily. I would ask you, Father, that right from the midst and the bowels of this church, that you'll send forth missionary laborers that will be willing to go here in the States and around the globe and the various nations and continents of the globe to reach sinners with the gospel of Christ. I'd ask now that your blessings be upon this meeting this week. Thank you for Pastor Allen. I pray that you'll continue to have your hand upon him, supply every need for him personally, for the family, and then, Lord, for the needs of this ministry. And we'll be careful to thank you for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to start tonight on what will probably more than likely be a series this week. I have been studying a new series of messages as of lately, and I've had the opportunity of preaching the first one or two uh, messages of the series. And I want to be able to preach tonight as the Lord leads on some of those subject matters in the book of Acts. Anyone who is familiar with Faith Promise Missions recognizes speedily that Acts chapter number 13 is the foundational text in Scripture for faith promise missions. But not only is it the foundational text for faith promise missions, it is the foundational text for New Testament missions and world evangelization. It is the biblical uh, guide, if you please, for New Testament missions in our day and age. And may I say tonight, as we go through the passage of Scripture, and I'll only have time to bring out just a couple of Thoughts concerning our subject and the topic that's at hand tonight, I want to just share with you some of the things that the Lord has been dealing with us concerning of the work of missions. In the book of Acts, chapter number thirteen, we find the ministry of the Holy Ghost in missions. We find the ministry of the Bible, the Word of God, in missions. We find the ministry of the Church in world missions and evangelization. You also find in the book of Acts, chapter number thirteen, and throughout the entire book of Acts, the ministry of the missionary. And World Missions and Evangelization, and then you find the ministry of the martyrs of missions uh, through the scriptures, and I'll not take time to go through all of it tonight, but Acts is jam-packed with the subject matter of World Missions and Evangelization. Tonight, I'd like to draw our attention to uh, the Holy Ghost and missions, or the ministry of the Holy Ghost and missions. Notice, if you would please, and I'll not mention a lot about this tonight, uh, to lay the foundation of the text for the purpose of preaching on the ministry of the local church and missions, but we'll find that missions begins in the local church. God never works outside of the local church and the authority of the New Testament church in order to reach the world with the gospel of Christ and to send forth missionaries. If God needs a missionary and looks for a missionary, He always goes to the local church. The precedent is set in the book of Acts chapter number 13. And I'm grateful that God went looking in the church when he found certain men that were qualified for the work of the minister of world missions and evangelization. And I'm one tonight. I know that some in years past have said, just sign up. I don't believe God will hold it against you if you do something for Him. And I believe that wholeheartedly. But I do believe that the work of missions and evangelization is a specific call. I don't believe a person just comes up and I'm going to give my life to missions and takes off to a foreign field. I believe there has to be the dealing and the leading and the guiding of the Holy Ghost of God. It is a call that is placed upon the individual by the Holy Ghost of God. I believe that the book of Acts, and if you have a Bible that has headers in it, more than likely over the introduction to the book of Acts will be the words, the Acts of the Apostles. And I certainly would not argue that point tonight because I believe the Acts of the Apostles are revealed in the book of Acts. And so it is rightly titled. But I also believe that just as much so, if not more so, that we could call the book of Acts the Acts of the Holy Ghost because the Acts of the Holy Ghost is mentioned or the Holy Ghost is mentioned more in the book of Acts than any other book of the entire Bible. And so it is a moving, it is a book with a moving of the Holy Ghost of God working in the church, working in the preacher's life, working in the saint of God's life, but specifically working in the life of the missionary. In fact, from the book of Acts chapter number 13, for the most part throughout the entirety of the balance of the chapters left in the book of Acts is focused around the acts of the missionaries and the apostle Paul and and, uh, Peter leading up to Acts chapter number 13 and others, uh, Barnabas and Saul and so forth that were involved in world missions and evangelization. And so we find that Acts is a very important book where it comes to world missions and evangelization. Uh, The book of Acts Um, gives us very vivid details about how God works, how God moves, how God calls into world missions and evangelization. And so tonight, a little bit different from what I normally would do, I want to take just a little bit of time and maybe do a little bit of teaching preaching, if I may, I enjoy rambling, back and preaching and somebody said some years ago, said, Brother Ellis, would you define the difference in teaching and preaching? And I said, yeah, I believe I can. And someone piped in and said, I can tell you what the difference is. Uh, the difference is volume. But I would say to you tonight, There really is a difference between teaching and preaching. Teaching should impart practical um, learning of the scriptures, how we can take the Bible and make it practical in our life and apply it to to our life and allow us to uh, live biblical principles. Preaching should challenge the heart. It should cause us to make a decision. It should draw us to the altar. So should teaching, but preaching more so to make a life-changing decision for Christ. It should be a, a... bring us to a turning point in our heart or in our life for the Lord. And all the great missionary movements of years past Have all been implemented, initiated, and empowered by the Holy Ghost of God. In fact, if you take the Holy Ghost of God out of missions, you have no missions because it is missions that was implemented by the Holy Ghost of God, as we see and have read tonight in our text. Notice with me, if you would please, uh, tonight uh, we see that the Holy Ghost of God in verse number two, and as they ministered. Now, this is in the church, speaking of the five that were mentioned uh, there in the church, and was at Antioch, uh, Simeon and then also Lucius and Manion and also uh, Saul which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and we find Barnabas and so here are five men that have evidently met the qualifications that the Holy Ghost is looking for to be involved in world missions and evangelization and so the Holy Ghost of God begins to move in verse number two and the Bible says as they, these five men, minister to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said. Now the Holy Ghost of God is going to interrupt the life of these five men and also the activities of this New Testament church. And so the Holy Ghost of God interrupts the, uh, the church and these men's lives. And notice what the Holy Ghost says as he makes a statement. Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And so we find the Holy Ghost of God initiating the call to world missions and evangelization. And so we find in this passage of Scripture the Holy Ghost is very vividly very clearly mentioned in our text concerning its, his connection to world missions. In verse number 4 so they're being sent forth by the Holy Ghost and so again here we have that phrase of uh, the Holy Ghost they were sent forth by the Holy Ghost and then in verse number 9 the Bible says then Saul who also is called Paul filled with and here it is again the Holy Ghost said." His Eyes on him, uh, dealing with opposition, Eliamas the Sorcerer. And so we find just in the few verses that we've read in Acts 13 in our opening text, the Holy Ghost and God's involvement in world missions and evangelization. Now I want to say this tonight, and I'll give you three things very briefly uh, in our text. And that is simply this: that I believe one of the greatest honors that could be laid upon any local church, and there's great honors that can be laid upon a church. Uh, great honors can be laid upon a church by your soul winning and your evangelism in your community. A uh, pastor was sharing with us all the ministries that you're involved with, and you are to be commended for your efforts and your labor and your evangelism out of this church. Uh, the church is to be commended for taking good care of your pastor. The church is to be commended for many things, and I'll not go through all the list, but one of the greatest honors that can be laid upon a church is for the Holy Ghost of God to come into this church and visit among the membership and find young men, young ladies that are qualified for world missions and evangelization. And don't be fooled, there are certain qualifications that God is looking for in a missionary. And so as we consider this passage of scripture, we find that it was the Holy Ghost of God that began to move in the local church. And we need the Holy Spirit of God to move in our midst even tonight and throughout this work. We need This week, we need the Holy Ghost of God to direct our daily walk, our daily pass, our daily witness, our endeavors uh, to empower us for his glory and his honor. It is the Holy Spirit that empowers and guides and leads the missionary in his work and his missionary endeavor. Now, notice with me tonight three things, if you would, in our text. Number one, and first off, notice if you would, it was the Holy Ghost of God that executes the call into world missions and evangelization. The Holy Spirit was involved in the very first missionary movement of the very uh, first New Testament church as sent forth missionaries as recorded in the scripture, the church at Antioch, and it was the Holy Ghost of God that chose the men, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereinto he said, I have called them. And so the Bible very clearly, the Holy Ghost of God, very clearly broadcasts that it is him that calls Men and women into world missions and evangelization. The Holy Ghost said, Separate martyrs and Saul for the work we're into. I, the Holy Ghost of God, has called them. And so we find that it is the Holy Ghost of God that executes the call into world missions and evangelization. As I said in the beginning, there would be no missions if it weren't for the Holy Ghost of God. As we consider this, I would like to challenge you tonight if you're here and you're a young man or young lady or if you're a middle-aged man or a middle-aged lady or an elderly man or an elderly lady that you would consider giving your life and that you would consider allowing your heart to be open to the Holy Ghost of God to execute, to initiate the call into world missions and evangelization. We sang that song, Living by Faith, tonight, and I used to sing it. In fact, I leaned over to Brother Wilson. I said, do you sing with your family? He said, no, sir, I do not. I said, men, you're in the same boat. I don't either. I sang for the first 10 years. We were on deputation ministry, and a pastor one day messed up everything. He gave me a cassette tape. Now, you young folk won't know what a cassette tape is. hard to believe that they're ancient and antiquated already, uh, much like almost a CD anymore, but a pastor gave me a cassette tape, and he said, Brother Ellis, here's a cassette tape of your preaching tonight, and your family singing. He said, maybe you'll listen to it going down the road and get a blessing out of it. Well, I don't mind telling you. I don't like hearing myself preach, and I can't stand to hear myself sing. I hadn't quite got to the place that Dr. B. R. Lincoln was after preaching in the ministry for many years. He said, when I was a young man, I absolutely despised hearing myself preach. He said, but as I got a little older, he said, I kind of enjoyed listening to myself preach. He said, I needed a little laugh every now and then. And I hadn't quite got to that point yet. But as I considered the matter, when I plugged it in and uh, listened to our family sing, we used to sing that song uh, in the harvest field, and uh, the fields are whitened to harvest. And I sound like a cow that had been hit with a cattle prod, Brother Brown. And uh, I felt like someone that was bellering out. And I told Peggy, I said, I'm going to go back and apologize to 10 years worth of churches Am my singing. I said, from now on, you sing, I'll preach by the grace of God, I'll give it my best. But we find it was the Holy Ghost of God that initiated the call. I remember my call into the gospel ministry. I was sitting at the Dogwood Valley Baptist Church. I was saved and gave my life to the Lord in June, just before my birthday, my 17th birthday, and I gave my life to the Lord, and the Holy Ghost of God was calling me into the ministry. And I'll be honest with you, there was a great desire in my heart. The Bible says, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good thing. And I know he's dealing with a pastor in that text, but I was desiring. I had a hunger and a thirst for ministry and for uh, preaching and so on. But I didn't think God could use someone like me. I'd been saved off the streets and my life was a mess and I'll not go into all of that tonight, but every time I'd hear a young man preach and uh, my heart would burn on the inside. And finally, one night I called my pastor, Brother Gentry, it was two or three o'clock in the morning and I didn't want to tell him it was me waking him up that hour of the morning. I said, preacher, I said, I know somebody that God's calling into the gospel ministry, a young man, and I have no idea what to tell him. And he laughed. He said, well, Brother Ellis, he said, the whole church, son, knows it's you. He said, the best thing I can tell you to do is preach. I said, you mean the whole church knows it? He said, the whole church knows it. We've just been waiting on you, son. He said, the best thing I can tell you to do is preach. And so we got to church that Sunday morning. He preached and gave the invitation. Church was over. He said, Brother Ellis, come to the platform and share with him what you shared with me about 2 or 3 o'clock this morning. And he emphasized the time I called him. And I stood up there, and I said, God's called me into the gospel ministry. I called to preach, and I'm going to give my life to preach. And he said, now, folks, you want to be here tonight? Brother Ellis will be preaching his first message. And I wanted to get uncalled as quick as I was called. I went home, and I studied and studied, and I went home to church that night. and was going to preach out of the book of Colossians on the preeminence of Christ. And I didn't even know anything, I didn't even know what preeminence meant. It was just a big word, and I thought, man, that'll sound like a good subject to me. I studied it out the best I could, still couldn't understand it, had my outlines, had my notes and my paper and so forth, and I stood behind the pulpit and tried to follow my notes, and I couldn't do it. I began to weep and cry, and I finally, I took my notes, wadded them up, and went looking for a trash can. Didn't know there wasn't a trash can on the platform. I guess preacher's messages were good enough. He didn't need a trash can. And finally, I just laid them on the side of the pulpit, and I just said, folks, God's called me to preach, and I don't know how to preach, but I'm going to give him my best shot. I just want to tell you what God's done for me. And I stood and gave my testimony, what the Lord had done, how He'd saved me off the streets and what God had done and how He'd changed my life and the church knew it. And I begged God that if he had called me into the ministry to give me a souls for my labor. And that night when I gave the invitation, a young silver uh, lady, that was her last name. She was 16 years old, pretty much raised at the Dogwood Valley Baptist Church. She came forward that night, walked the aisles of the altar and bowed on the altar and got saved and gave her life to Christ. And that night God gave me my first, soul for my labor and from then on God began to work and move and I surrendered my life and I had a hunger and thirst to go into full time ministry I had a friend of ours, Brother Benny Roberts, we used to meet early in the morning about five or six o'clock and pray for an hour. He'd go his way to work and I'd go my way to work. And after a few weeks of praying in the mornings like that on the Dogwood Valley Baptist Church camp, uh, God began to move in my heart and the Holy Ghost of God began to stir in my soul. And I went to hear Dr. Ed Blue preach at an old-fashioned tent meeting off the Chatsworth Highway uh, over there. And I began to sit under the preaching that night in the tent meeting. And the Holy Ghost of God was dealing in moving and that night i went forward and i bowed in the altar and i said god i'll give my life to world missions and evangelization the lord had been dealing with me i'll not go into all of it and i went to brother blue that night the founder of the rock of ages i said brother blue i said god's called me tonight and i know he wants me to be a missionary with the rock of ages he said god bless you son and turned around walked off i thought man he's not excited but i sure was and I went home and I told Peggy, I said, uh, God's called us to go to the Rock of Ages Ministries. And I look back on it now, I don't blame him. I was a young uh, 17, 18-year-old, uh, well, not 17, 18 at that time, I guess in your early 20s. And uh, I probably wouldn't have accepted me. I've often said, had I been the director when I had tried to approach uh, the Rock of Ages to become a missionary, I'd have probably turned me down. I was young and I was inexperienced, but I had a hunger and a thirst in my heart. Why? Because the Holy Ghost of God had put that drive, that call in my heart. And there may be a young man or a young lady here tonight uh, that has a drive in the heart, a drive in the soul. And the Holy Spirit of God's been working and moving and calling and wooing and dealing in your heart and in your life. You may be sitting here tonight and say, I've got uh, these issues and those issues, and I'm too old and frail and can't do anything for the Lord. My friend, it's never too old to do anything for God. I remember someone came to David, I believe, well, actually it was Hudson Taylor one time in a conference and came to him and said, Mr. Taylor, I believe God's called me into world missions, and I want to become a missionary and help you on the mission field. And uh, he looked down. And uh, he, Hudson Taylor noticed he had a prosthesis of a leg on that was made out of wood. And he looked at him. He said, "And uh, young man, he said, what do you suppose God can do with a one-legged man on the mission field?" And he looked at him and he looked around. And he said to well, Mr. Taylor, "I don't see too many with two good legs volunteering to go." And Mr. Taylor said, "I'll take you." And God used them in a wonderful way. I'm just simply saying that tonight. You may not have all the talents. You may not have all the ducks in a row. You may not have every I dotted. You may not have every T cross. But if the Holy Ghost of God is working in your heart tonight, then yield to the Holy Spirit of God. For God can take you and God can make of you a great servant of his. And so it is the Holy Ghost of God that executed the call. The Bible says in Acts 13 and 4, so they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost. It was the Holy Ghost of God that guided the work of the missionaries. The Bible said they departed in verse number 3 and verse number 4, specifically in verse number 4, said they departed unto solution, from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And the Bible said they were sent forth by the Holy Ghost. And in our missionary training classes, I stress the importance of a local church, and I'm going to get a little bit ahead of myself here. The word "sent forth" in this text, it's not just an endorsement to send that missionary out, although that is what is implied. The word "sent forth" carries with it a thrust. It's like an aircraft carrier when an airplane is trying to get off the deck they have a short runway and they have to get enough uh, air over the wings to get the lift to get off and so they have what they call afterburners and they'll kick those afterburners in and it thrusts them off of that ship and they're able to get lift and get up into flight and that's what it means in this text when it says in the Holy Spirit of God they were sent forth by the local church and they were sent forth by the Holy Ghost. It is the local church and it is the Holy Spirit of God that thrusts the missionary Harden into the mission field. Yeah. I'll tell you why to keep a missionary on the mission field. Stay in tune with God. Be in touch with the Holy Ghost of God. Be totally yielded to the Holy Ghost. And know the work that God's called you to. And fully dedicate, consecrate, separate, sell out. and Be willing to sacrifice for God. Tell every man that comes through our missionary candidate classes, we do not want you if you're a 99.9% sure that God's called you to the rock of ages. We don't need you. We need you. Let me rephrase that. We don't want you. You say, why? Because that one fraction of a percentage of a fraction, the devil will use that to discourage. And when the battles come, there will be one of two questions. Am I going through these battles in my life and my struggles because I have missed the will of God and God's trying to show me that I've missed his will? Or you'll have the opposite thought. Am I in the perfect will of God and this is devil trying to tempt me and trip me up? My friend, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. We get it settled before God. Allow the church to be our sending agency and the Holy Ghost of God to thrust us out in the mission field. The church was the local uh, church that God used, or the Holy Ghost of God used, the entity that God used to send the missionary out of, but it was the Holy Ghost of God that was the thrust behind world missions and the missionary endeavor. One stormy night, Hudson Taylor was scheduled to preach in Birmingham, England. And on that night, a torrential downpour came and some of the bridges of the city were washed out and there was flooding all over the city. And one of Mr. Taylor's uh, comrades said to him, said, "Uh, you're not going to that meeting tonight, I hope. Nobody will come. No one will go out over the treacherous rain and roads and where bridges are out to try to get to that meeting. Hudson Taylor, please don't tell me you're going to that meeting. And Hudson Taylor asked him, he said, when did we announce that the meeting would take place? He said, well, tonight. You know that's what was announced. Mr. Taylor said, if we announced it for tonight, then Hudson Taylor will be there tonight. And Hudson Taylor trudged through the storm and the flooded streets, and he showed up at the church. And that night, about a dozen or just a few under that showed up for that meeting. And Hudson Taylor stood and he preached and he presented his ministry and poured his heart out to the congregation. And that night in that meeting, no less than half of the attendees either gave their life to World Missions and Evangelization or surrendered their children to the mission field and the other half ended up being staunch supporters of Hudson Taylor's work in ministry. I'm saying to you tonight that when the Holy Ghost of God is in it, we yield ourselves to him. The Holy Ghost of God moves and God supplies and God uses the Holy Ghost of God to lead us and guide us in our ministries. Not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burden agonizing heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful well for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come there. And then look Christ in the face whose mercy you have professed to obey and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances and march to the pub, march to publish his mercy to the world. Not called did you say, not heard the call I think you should say, said William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. I believe that in the day and age we live, I've read several articles over the last year stating that world missions and evangelization is at a 100 year all time low. Missionaries that are passing away, just this past week we had a missionary that went on to be Lord. Since I've been the director of the Rock of Ages in the last 17 years, I've lost count, but we've had over 20 missionaries that have passed away and gone on to be of the Lord. Many of our missionaries are up in years, and I thank God for that. We have found at Rock of Ages, if a missionary can get past the five-year mark, we only lose less than 10% of them. If they get past the 10-year mark, we lose less than 45 to 5% of them. Their ministries are established, their support is secure for the most part, and they're stable on the field. We're... Now celebrating missionaries, we give away annual missionary service awards to missionaries for their 5-year, 10-year, 5-year increments. We skip the 35-year and go to the 40, 45, and 50-year. And now we're giving away every year predominantly missionary awards of 30, 40 years of age and sometimes, and well, 25 years and up. May I say to you, it's not that God has quit calling when I was a young preacher, we'd go into the churches and they would be anywhere from 6, 8, 10, 12. And in our church at one time at Dogwood, there were 16 young preacher boys or pastors out of the church between churches and our congregation that was there called of God, called to preach, involved in the ministry. And today it's rare. Uh, today it is extremely rare to go into church on a normal service and have more than the pastor, maybe an assistant pastor or a youth pastor. It is extremely rare to get into a church where there's more than just the pastor that's called to preach. Is it because God does not have a concern for the world that's dying and going to hell? Is it because God and the Holy Ghost of God has quit calling young men into the gospel ministry? I say no, I say no tonight. I believe it's because we're not listening There was a farmer who walked outside and owned hundreds of acres or thousands of acres of land that he planted corn. He walked outside one day and the clouds formed in two alphabets P and C. He thought for sure that it meant preach Christ. So he sold everything out and began to preach and kept inviting his neighbor. And finally his neighbor came to hear him preach one time. After the service, his neighbor walked by, shook his hand, and the preacher asked me, he said, well, why did you think? He said, I just have one question. When you walked out and saw that piece in the clouds and you thought it said preach Christ, are you sure it didn't mean continue to plant corn? You'll get it in a minute. We need some that are sold out to God don't quit when the devil whispers in ear. Don't quit when the trials are hard and the way is rough. Don't quit when the burdens and the load is heavy. Don't quit when the valleys are deep and the mountains are steep. Don't quit when the challenges are unsurmountable. Don't quit when the finances are short. Don't quit when the opposition is fierce. Don't quit when the enemy is, uh, encroaches on your uh, territory. Don't quit tonight. Keep on keeping on for the glory of God. Don't quit when the devil in all hell has set sail against you. Don't quit. Don't quit, church member. Don't quit, missionary. Win one more soul to Christ. Don't quit, child of God, missionary. Preach one more sermon. Don't quit, Christian. Pick up your Bible one more time. Don't quit, Christian. Pray one more time. Don't quit. Pass out one more gospel tract. Don't quit. Praise him and worship him one more time. Don't quit. Just one more mile. Just one. Press on, child of God. Press on, and every time you think about it, don't quit. Just press on until you hear him say, Matthew twenty-five twenty-three. Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I have made thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of don't quit. Second Chronicles fifteen, seven and eight. Be ye strong, therefore, and let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Don't quit. Secondly, the Holy Ghost of God empowers missionary movements. We find that in our text, and I'll try to be as brief as possible here tonight. The power behind world missions and evangelization. When you hear of missionaries going into remote areas, and today you don't have, there's really, when we think of third world countries, there are exceptions to the rule. You go back a century and most of the world would have been third world and horrible living conditions and so forth, and those conditions still exist in many fields. But the majority of the world has developed enough that missions and the face of missions is different from what it was a century ago. And as you consider the matter, the matter, you hear the great missionary stories and endeavors. And I thank God for Hudson Taylor, and I thank God for David Livingston. And I thank God for Adonai Judson, and I thank God for all the great missionaries of years past. I have thoroughly enjoyed reading biographies over the years. I've not been able to read many biographies In the last few years, because of our ministry and the responsibilities, but I've probably read upwards of 165 to 185 biographies over the years. I absolutely love biographies and reading about missionaries and preachers and how God used them. But I want to tell you something. Today, in the age we live, we have some of the greatest servants of all time. Men who are men of God. Men who have the anointing, the touch of God upon them. Men who are sacrificing on the field. Men who have laid their lives on the line for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Men who are reaching multitudes and the masses and laying it all out for Christ. We have men today that are great men that in the centuries to come, if God does not come and call the church out in the days ahead, in the days to come, we have have missionaries today that will match the Hudson Taylors, that will match the Adoniram Judsons, that will match the David Livingstons. They're just doing it in a different way, in a different caliber because of the culture. It is the Holy Ghost of God that empowers the movement of missions. The power behind the missions is the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost provides us the supernatural empowerment required uh, to be effective in world missions. I was preaching at Silverdale in Chattanooga. It's been maybe upwards of a couple of months ago, maybe three at the most. I walked in one night back in the cell blocks. I personally don't like going back in the cell blocks. It's always tense challenging, but we do it. I walked into the cell block, and normally there's a lot of noise. I was in a week or two prior to that, and the men had the TV, and I'd get louder to override the TV, and they'd turn the TV up, and I'd have to get louder. And finally I stopped. I said, guys, we got this challenge going on. I can promise you tonight, I'm not trying to be arrogant, but I can preach louder than you can that TV. I'll promise you. I said, I'll respect you if you'll respect me, and they turned it down. I walked in just a few weeks ago, and right as I walked in, the men began to gather around. It was very noisy in the background. To my left, seven Muslim walked up and bowed on their knees with their prayer rugs and began to pray. I've been to the Middle East and other countries that are predominantly Islamic, And I said to the men, I said to myself, this is going to be interesting. We have seven Muslims praying about six feet from me, and I'm going to stand and preach the gospel. I don't know how this is going to work out, but here it goes. And so I reared back and started preaching, I said to them, I said, I'll respect them while they're praying, if you will, and uh, I ask you to respect the preaching of the Word of God. Then prayed but about five minutes, and I don't want to over-sensationalize it, God forbid. But all I can say, by the way, is the Holy Ghost of God showed up. That place, there was a holy hush. You could have heard a mouse tiptoe across a concrete floor and the Holy Ghost of God moved in there was a deathly silence inside that room those men picked up their prayer rugs and they walked over and stood with the rest of them and I preached my entire uh, message that night and gave the invitation and had one that came forward to be saved and several that raised their hand to rededicate their life and a couple of the Muslims raised their hand for their need for salvation but all I can say is I've been in that cell block time and time and time again and I've had to preach over the noise enough, had to preach over the TV enough, had to preach over the cursing and the swearing enough, had to preach over him talking on the phone and all the things that are taking place in the chatter. But something happened that night. The Holy Ghost of God showed up and a holy hush and silence fell over that room. It's the Holy Ghost of God that empowers the endeavor of the mission movement. It's not our efforts it's not our strategies. It's not our experience. It's the Holy Ghost of God. In Acts 4.31, when they had prayed, the place was shaken, where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. In Acts 1.8, You shall receive power to the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses and to me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. Let me not go through all of it tonight. I appreciate your preacher hasn't put me on a time limit. But I want you to know tonight it's the Holy Ghost of God. And if there's no Holy Ghost of God, there's nothing accomplished for eternity. Sometimes the Holy Ghost of God led Paul where there was persecution such as at Thessalonica, but then the Holy Ghost of God allowed him to leave Thessalonica. And sometimes where there's persecution on the mission field, such as in the Middle East and portions of Asia, it's okay for a missionary to leave because of danger and threat. But then there's other times the Holy Ghost of God led him to places like Corinth, and there were times when his life was in jeopardy, but the Holy Ghost of God wouldn't let him leave. And so we need to be careful about judging or prejudging a missionary in his endeavor because it is the Holy Ghost of God that directs his work. Let me just give you this and I'll give you my last thought. In Acts 20, 20 through, uh, 22 through 24, he said, And now... I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Notice the uncertainty, but knowing that persecution and affliction is there. And Paul goes knowing that affliction will await him in Jerusalem. Why? Because the Holy Ghost of God was leading him in his ministry. A missionary don't go to a place because it's safe or because it's dangerous. He goes because the Holy Ghost of God has led him there. At least that should be the reason. Notice the Bible says in verse number 23, Save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of, those things, none of these things move me. Neither can I, I neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. Now, I don't have time to go through all of this, but Paul is very cl- making it very clear it's the Holy Ghost of God that's leading him to Jerusalem. He's going bound in spirit. It was the Holy Ghost of God that led him. I remember, and I'll give you this, and I'll give you my last thought, and I'll be done. I remember years ago one of our missionaries was staying in a, a motel, and of course, been a motel, the entrance was on the outside uh, to the rooms. Uh, he and his wife, Kay, and two sons were asleep at night. They were in a meeting, and that night someone kicked the door down. Came in with a shotgun, held it to his face while he was in bed, and uh, was out to rob him. And somehow, Brother Benny said, I just had a gut instinct that when he got what he wanted, he was going to blow my brains out. He says, very critical situation. And so, in an instant, he reached up, he knocked the shotgun away, grabbed the barrel. Uh, they began to wrestle. It went off, it shot a hole through the ceiling. Biddy was able to get the gun, the shotgun from the man, and the gentleman got away. Sometimes the missionary's life can be in danger. There may be missionaries that you support here in this church tonight that are on a foreign field or there's a great distance, and they're in danger. Their life's in danger, and you'll not know about it till it's all said and done or the damage is done. Two missionaries in the Middle East have been martyred over the last year for the gospel of Christ. There are places all over the world, I don't endorse the ministry by no means, but I keep up with the voice of the martyrs or magazine because they deal with persecution of uh, Christians around the globe and the underground churches and so forth. Again, I wouldn't endorse uh, their ministry because of their ecumenicalism and their position on scriptures and so forth, but it is a good informative uh, resource for keeping up with the persecuted uh, church or Christians at least around the globe. And as a result of that, you can see readily that there are many that are given their life for the gospel. It is estimated since the death of Christ on Calvary, there's been over 65 million martyrs around the globe. Let me give you my last thought and I'll be done. The Holy Spirit engages the sinner. The Bible uh, tells us in Acts thirteen six through 12, but Elias the sorcerer, for so his name by interpretation withstood them so he can turn away the deputy from the faith. Uh, then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, "Oh, full of all, and I'm not going to go through all the scripture tonight. We've read it earlier, but we find the Holy Ghost of God engaging the sinner. I remember I was preaching in the country of Brazil. In fact, it's been uh, 10 years and about two months. And I was preaching in a little country church in Serena outside of Hebron Preto. And I remember that night in a small building, probably, I don't know, Peggy, maybe half this size, I would say, or, uh, or so forth. No more than a half, third to a half. Gave the invitation, a man in the back of the church got up and began to walk forward. And as he began to walk forward, people in the pew would look over and see who it is and they'd fall on their knees in their pew and begin to pray. It was a man by the name of Dinu. I didn't know him at the time, never met him before. I was preaching through an interpreter, one of our missionaries, John Alves, in Brazil, uh, speaking Portuguese. By the time he got to the front, every single person in the church was on their knees praying. The pastor called for one of the men to come up and took him to a room behind the church there, and they stayed for quite some time. After he had dismissed the services through the interpreter, the pastor told me, said, this man is a God-hater. He hates the church. He hates the pastor, me. He hates the Bible. He hates Christians. He hates God. He wants nothing to do with it. In fact, uh, he was uh, irate at the church, but the wife had told him, so we have an American missionary that's going to be preaching tonight. I'd invited him, and he came. And that night the Holy Ghost of God put him under conviction and he came forward that night and they took him in the room and about 45 to 50 minutes or so he came out and he picked me up speaking in Portuguese and my feet's dangling. He's walking all over and I was a little bit smaller than I am tonight. Not much, but he was a whole lot smaller than I was. And he's walking around, he's talking Portuguese and all I could say was, "Fella, you can let me down. I don't understand a word. But through the interpreter, they told me that uh, his testimony about hated God and everything, and uh, he got saved that night. He was trying to tell me in Portuguese that he got born again, birth into the family of God. Amen. He got active in the church. We were just there about three, four weeks ago, and uh, Dinu is in the church now, and uh, they built a new auditorium. Right after he got saved, uh, Pastor Alexandra told me, said, "Brother Ellis, during the church service." He'd stand out at the back of the church, you know, like you're going to greet people. And the people would walk by. They've moved into the city now. And he said people would walk by. And he'd go out on the sidewalk and invite people to church and win them to the Lord and bring them in. And they'd walk the aisles of the altar. And multitudes had been brought to the saving knowledge of Christ through did testimony. Why? Because the Holy Ghost of God engaged the sinner. He's been helping us with our Discipleship Institute. We have, if I remember correctly, around 3,600 studying the Bible with us on a daily basis out of the sixteen to 17,000 studying with us on a daily basis. And um, he helps with the Discipleship Institute. And I just got word about a month ago now. I got a note, said, Denu has surrendered his life to missions, and he believes God's called him to be a missionary of the Rock of Ages. And I said, hey, amen, bring him on. Why? Because the Holy Ghost of God engages the sinner. man by the name of Mark Hopkins was on death row at the Wyoming State Penitentiary. I witnessed to him multiple times. Gave him a giant print Bible, stuffed it full of gospel text, tracts hand wrote the Romans wrote in the front of it. Gave him a Smith's Bible dictionary and several different books and come time for his execution. He was the last man on death row at the old facility and the first man on death row at the new facility. He didn't actually commit the murder. He hired out the murder, and they gave him the death sentence. He told me, he said, I want you to witness my execution. He was what he considered himself to be a, um, a Jack Mormon. That's equal to a backslidden Baptist on Mormon terms. So I went back to visit with him. They had him sitting in a stool, shackled to a chair with two officers standing guard just outside the execution chamber. He wanted to be put before a firing squad because the Mormons teach that you have to shed blood in order to be redeemed in your death, especially if you die in sin. I walked in and I said, Mark, he'd sent me a request. I walked in and he said, um, but the officers, there comes that preacher trying to save my soul. He said, Preacher, I'm going to see the devil in about five minutes in hell, and I'm going to tell him you said hi. I said, Mark, let me share with you one more time about the gospel. And he refused it and I stood outside the death chamber and watched as the family gathered in and the officers gathered in and the executioner and they pulled the curtains after they had injected him with the lethal doses of the medications that would take his life. And Mark Hopkins, his last words were I'll be in hell in about five minutes and I'll tell the devil you said hi. He rejected the gospel of Prior to that, and my last visit with him in a cell block, he wept and he said, "Preacher, if I wasn't a Mormon, I'd give my life to Christ." The Holy Ghost of God had engaged him, and he rejected. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and the door, I will come in and sup with him, and he with me. And so, the Holy Ghost of God. Knocked on Mark's door. And Mark ignored it and went to hell. Thank you. Would you come to the panel and get ready for an invitation for me tonight? I don't know your situation or circumstance tonight, but I can say this. I know that the Holy Spirit of God and the Holy Ghost impressed on my heart to use this passage of Scripture tonight. I don't know what your need is. I don't know what the Holy Ghost of God's been dealing with you about. If God's trying to deal with you about getting more involved in your local church. If God's been dealing with you about missions and evangelization. If God's dealing with you about calling you into world missions. Or if God's dealing with you about sin in your life. But just as Mark Hopkins rejected the engagement of the Holy Ghost of God in salvation. You can reject him and what he's dealing with you about tonight. And there will come that time when you step over God's deadline. God said, I've strove with you long enough. I'm done. You have it your way. God forbid that he would remove his hand from anyone that's here tonight.